Welcome to history. Hello, everyone. This is the Checkered Pass podcast. Uh, got a little bit of background noise in here today. Uh, well, we just cut it off. Tommy Galloway is working on his hot rod Corvair. Uh, good to be back. Sorry about the delay. We've been off a couple of weeks. We've had a we've had a traveling co-host and had a couple other technical difficulties. But glad to have you back, Mark. Yeah, it's good to be back. You know, good to be back. Been doing a little traveling, but excited to get back here to a Checker Pass podcast. And we got a great guest tonight. I'm excited. I need to want to get get to know this one a little bit. So he's one of the champions on the wall out there. So we need a lot to hear about his past. But uh, it's good to have everyone here and. Um, I forgot to let you all know that we're in the Call Double Alt Studio brought to you by Auto Bank and RV Sales and Services. And uh, we're going to have Mr. Dale on here in a second with his victory devotion. But uh, right now we're going to turn it over to our producer, Hunter, and let him do his commercial for uh, Morgan Motor Company. And Dale's victory devotion is brought to you by Morgan Motor Company. Is buying a car something you don't look forward to because of the high-pressure salespeople? Don't let yourself be pressured. When you contact Morgan Motor Company Incorporated, you always deal with a Morgan. This means no high-pressure sales pitch, no high overhead costs that's passed down to you, and savings you can bet on. Morgan Motor Company has been serving the upstate of South Carolina for over 60 years. Give them a call today, 864-242-242. 684 or visit Morgan Motor Company and see how they can save you money and tell them the guys from a Checker Pass podcast sent you. Good evening, Dale. The, the stage is yours. All right. Thank you very much. And thank you again, Matthew Morgan. I'm gonna, I'm going to get over on Rutherford Road and meet you in person one of these days. My devotion this week is on patience. Proverbs 16:32 says, "Better to be patient than powerful." Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. No one likes to wait. But have you ever wondered why? It's because delays show us that we are not in control. Someone or something else is calling the shots. Although we may be able to identify the immediate cause like a traffic light or a long checkout line, ultimately the one who controls all our delays is the Lord. Since he is sovereign over everything in heaven and on earth, even our time and schedules are in his hands. This means that in every delay, we are actually waiting on waiting for God in one way or another. You might have thought that the expression waiting upon the Lord applies only to seeking guidance from him or an answer to a prayer, but it can mean so much more when you remember that he controls all our day-to-day inconveniences and frustrations. Patience is vital in racing to be successful. You can't push your car 100% at the drop of a green flag and run the entire race without easing up. If you do, you may finish the race this time, but you can't do it every race. You will lose more times than you will win. And as Tom Blackwell always said, you can't win the race on the first lap. Any driver who has ever raced at a track like Greenville Pickens knows that you can't go every lap wide open. You have to be patient, pace yourself, and take care of your tires. There have been many drivers whose cars felt so good on new tires they felt like Superman only to fade in the late laps and get passed by a driver who ran a slightly slower pace and conserved their tires. Many times they are celebrating in victory lane and Superman is wondering how he got beat. In the Christian life, learning to wait is vitally important because until you do, you'll never be able to walk in obedience to God, have an effective prayer life, or experience the peace of resting in his loving sovereignty. 
We must learn to trust his judgment about not just the big events in our lives, but also the trivial ones which causes us to become irritated, impatient, or even angry. If we're sensitive to his instructions, each delay has a lesson. The next time you face an unexpected or unwanted wait, remember that it comes as no surprise to God. He wants to teach you patience and increase your faith. He's more interested in developing good character than he is in making sure your schedule runs according to your plans. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for working on my patience. We all get in a hurry and want things to work out in our timing, but we know that your timing is always perfect. Waiting for you to answer our prayers builds character in us. Thank you for being patient patient with us all. Lord, be with us this year, wherever we go and whatever we do. And Lord, if anyone out there does not have a relationship with you, let them please contact me. I will show them how their eternity in heaven can be secured. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dale. We appreciate you coming in every week. Uh, Glad folks, to be here. Folks, before we get started with the show, we have uh, we have a late model stock champion from Greenville Pickens, uh, 1999, correct? Yep. Champion, Dennis Sutherland, is going to be on. But right now, we're going, we've got a little bit of news about uh, saving the Greenville Pickens Speedway right quick. We've got Mr. Mark Blackwell in. Hey, thanks for having me back on, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. We've been working hard trying to get the track back online. They're shooting for the beginning of May now. So originally the uh, deadline was kind of mid-April, but uh, it looks like we can get started. Jackie can get started by the beginning of May. And he's almost, he's pretty, we keep saying, we were saying he's almost halfway there, and then he was saying he's halfway there, and now he's well over halfway there in raising the funds and getting all the resources and insurance and NASCAR and everything else on board. And so hopefully he'll be getting the place running uh, by the beginning, sometime the beginning of May. And the cool thing is, is uh, everybody who's listening can help. So, uh, you know, we, we need everybody, you know, it's, yeah. it's getting close. It's getting, you know, we said this to like, I think we were on two weeks ago, right? Weeks when ago, I was, yeah. we were, Jackie and I were the guests and uh, it's now or never time, you know, it's, he's got about a week or two left to raise the rest of it. He's got a ton of sponsors. So if any, uh, and they're coming on board fast now because as it gets closer, people are saying, huh, this might happen. Yeah. And so if there's anybody out there who wants to sponsor with Jackie, Jackie's open to anything, anything whatsoever. And so uh, partner sponsors, you know, and like we said before, if you, you know, if you're a fan of the track, kick in 20 bucks, you know, and uh, feel good about being a part of saving Greenville Pick and Speedway. And the place to go is uh, the, our, our official Facebook page is called Save Our Speedway, the legendary Greenville Pick and Speedway, and all the info is there. And Art, if you if you know some people question whether things are legitimate or not, but I'm telling you it is. And you can also there's stories on there now from Channel Four, WYFF, Channel Seven, WSPA. We got Greenville News, we got Greenville Journal, we got the State, we got the Post and Courier. So everybody's jumping on. Oh, Channel Channel Thirteen is jumping on too. They're going to do a story this week out of Asheville. Yeah, out of Asheville. Yeah, well, that's good. Which is cool. I, I pitched it to them in the way that like you know they're part of the history too because that's ABC and yeah. ABC broadcast that first race out there. You know, the first good live thinking. race ever. And so they're getting on either at the end of this week or beginning of next week. They're going to interview Jackie and so Jackie is working really, really, really hard. It's an, it's unbelievable and. He's definitely making noise around he the is. upstate and around the racing world in general. He is. Everybody's talking about it now, and uh, it's cool. And so anybody wants to get with Jackie, just he's he's very available. Come to the Facebook page, Save Our Speedway, the legendary Greenville Pickens Speedway, and Jack, you know, send us a message. 
and uh, Jackie, get with Jackie and do whatever you want. You know, be a sponsor, be a partner. If you have any kind of ideas, anything. He's open to anything that can help him get started because he's super passionate about the whole thing. You know, he's psyched up, you know. Yeah, and every bit of the money is donated on the GoFundMe that you donate is going to the racetrack. And if not, it's going to be passed on to the Shriners Hospital. Right. Correct? Well, the cool thing is the Shriners Hospital is going to benefit either way now. Yeah. The way it works is because if this doesn't happen, we're going with the fact that it's going to happen. Uh, if this doesn't happen, every single penny he raises is going to the Shriners Hospital. That's already a done deal. The Shriners Hospital is on board. And to make it public, he's going to do it at Anderson Speedway in front of everybody. But he's not going to do it because we're going to get the track yeah, open. It's a win-win no it's, matter and what. And it's an, another win-win that we that he came up with is that if we if he if he when he does get the track up and running, uh, he's going to bring back the Shrine Race. That'll be awesome. Yeah, and so the Shrine Race, all the proceeds will go to the you know Shrine, and as it always did back in the day at Greenville Pickens, and Greenville Pickens donated well over a million dollars over the year to the Shrine, and so we'll keep up that tradition, you know. That sounds awesome. I'm I'm excited. Let's let's hope it. Let's hope things get me going and he gets all the pieces put together. And I know let's get this place and, open. And y'all who are listening, I, it really is. You might say like, "Oh, my ten dollars ain't gonna matter. My twenty dollars ain't gonna matter." Every but dollar it, it will because I. You, you might think it's silly to put ten twenty dollars in, but if everybody who was a fan of that track put in twenty dollars, we'd be racing tomorrow. Oh know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. So, yeah. So, I, I, it's just that's just how it is, and so whenever we see a twenty, we you know the twenty up here on the GoFundMe, we don't say, "Oh, look at that cheapskate." We say, "Cool, man!" Yeah. You know, we get excited for real. It is true. Yeah, every twenty, every dollar, it all helps, and yeah. everything's greatly appreciated. But I appreciate you letting me uh, give a little update here, Steve. Uh, absolutely, we're good. Glad to have you. And any time you come back and give us any updates, always good to be here. Absolutely, it's good to have you. Cool, man. Take care, and we appreciate it. All right, I'll keep you updated. Yes, sir. All righty, Mark, uh, Mr. Turner, we've uh, sit down and learn a little bit about our guest now, uh, Mr. Dennis Sutherland. How are you doing this evening, Dennis? I'm doing good. We appreciate you coming in. I appreciate y'all having me. So uh, what got you started into racing? Just when I was a teenager, I hot-rodded. And as I got married, I felt like I was too old to, you know, get in trouble hot-rodding on the road, so... One day I just decided I was going to build me a race car and started out. I was going to build a, uh, what they used to call the, the hobby cars. Well, then about halfway through the winter, they done away with those cars. So I just went ahead and converted that car into a late model. And that's all I ever have raced is late models. And, uh, that was 1981. And then, uh, Every car I ever drove after that, I built, and uh, until like '97 or '98, I went out and ran the All Pro Circuit for a couple of years, and I bought a car there. You know, racing's a deal. Like for my cars to run in All Pro, they would take take it a lot harder than they would the chassis that were there all the time. Mm-hmm. So I bought a Port City car, and uh, I ran it a couple of years, and uh, then I got hooked up with a old guy out of Fletcher, North Carolina, Charles Collins, and uh, I had went out Greenville one night just to watch, and he was out there running. He was 74 years old, and uh, he come walking up to me and asked me if I would get in his car and tell him what I felt. So I crawled in it and went out there and run a few laps and 
<clears throat> the car was awful. So I come in and I got out and I said, I'm going to be honest with you, Jesus Christ couldn't drive this race car. <laughs> and uh, me and him got hooked up and uh, like 99 when I wound up winning that championship, first time in my life that I had full sponsorship, you know, and uh, he was the one that wanted me to run for the champion. And uh, he told me, he said, money won't be no issue. So uh, I kept up his car and my car and my boy and the guys that had been helping me for years. I mean, we all worked our hind ends off. So, you know, I wound up winning that thing. And, uh, you know, then after that, about 2000, 2001, I, my health kind of went down, back problems and stuff like that. So really like 2009 was my last race. And, uh, you know, since then when Justin, when he runs and stuff, I try to go and help him what, what I can. But uh, I was just somebody that wanted to race and was willing to work to do it. And so that's why I built my own cars and stuff. And over the years, I mean, a guy named Jimmy Phillips over in Taylor's that was well known, you know, by Butch Lindley and Donnie Bishop drove cars owned by him. Well, we got to building race cars over there. So about six or seven of the ones that won championships out there, done it in cars, we built. Uh, Marty Ward, I mean, you know, Marty's my cousin, and uh, he drove my car one time out there at Greenwood. He blowed a motor, and, and uh, he asked me to let him drive it because he was running for points. Well, he loved the way it drove, so he called me up the next week and asked me if I'd build him one. Huh. So we wound up, we built it and stuff, and, you know, I built the frame and stuff like that. And he wound up putting it all back, you know, together. Mm. But then he comes out there and wins the championship in that car. So, you know, I just I always enjoyed the fabricating part of it, creating something. And uh, I just, you know, just had the desire to do it. And uh, I didn't have the money to go out here and buy cars. And it was a lot cheaper on me to buy a little at a time and build it. And uh, that's just how I got started. And. You know, that's the way I've done it my whole racing career. Huh. I noticed on, uh, I, I talked with Justin outside a while ago, on, on one of your cars, the old Camaro, you had uh, Presnell, right? Presnell, Presnell and, and then and then Ward, and I was asking what what all that was about, and he said y'all were all related. So Yeah, uh, Maurice uh, was my uh, second cousin, and we never really was around each other growing up, but about the second or third race I ran out there at Greenville, Marty blowed up at night, but he won. And Maurice come to my house and asked me to let Marty drive my car because of the points. And, uh, you know, he told me, he said, we'll pay for anything he tires up or whatever it costs to race it. And uh, said, you can keep what he wins. So it was a, you know, no-lose situation for me. Well, then we got to kind of racing together. I would drive my car at Greenville on Saturday night. Well, then, see, nobody around here would ever go to the old Asheville Speedway. So we went up there, and Marty would drive it up there on Friday night, and uh, we'd done that for a year. And uh, But 
you know, the whole Asheville Speedway, I mean, for, for us towing as far as we were, they would pay show money for us just to come. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we done we run a bunch of races that year. And then Marty was running the, uh, then was called a Grand American, which turned into the All-Pro. And we'd go do that, you know, when they'd have a race and stuff. But, I mean, we done a lot of racing there for a while. It sounds like it. So, when you first got started, was Greenville Pickens your first track yeah. that you raced at? So, yeah. that's where you started out, was at Greenville Pickens? Yeah. I never, say, I didn't have any family members that ever done any kind of racing, but I had an uncle that owned one of the hobby cars that actually won the championship out there in, like, 1980. A boy named Keevan Rainey drove it, and it was a dominating car. And he's kind of the one that helped me get started uh, you know, he was close and we were close and he just told me one day, he said, well, let's build you a car. And actually we built it in his shop. He had a little old 24 by 24 garage and we built that car in his shop. And, um, uh, he's the one that I guess you could say that maybe seen something in me that was willing to give me a help. And, uh, when I got it built, uh, I didn't have any kind of scales and stuff like that to weigh it out. Well, that's how me and Jimmy Phillips got hooked up. Jimmy was the only person around that had any scales. So I went and asked him if I could come weigh it out over there. And he said, yeah. Well, Jimmy had come, kind of got to where he couldn't see real good and stuff like that. And people were still bringing race cars for him to do things too. Well, at that time, I was certified welder. So... When I went over and set my car up and stuff, Jimmy asked me, he said, why don't you come over here and help me fix some of these race cars and stuff? And he said, you, you know, I can't see the weld that good no more. And uh, he said, you can do all the welding and stuff for me. And, you know, that's basically how it all got started. I uh, that uh, Camaro. I, that's, I'm, I'm an old school. I like the old school stuff. Well, so see, like, the car you're talking about was actually a 69 Chevelle frame. Really? And I converted it, raised the snouts, you know, built it piece at a time. And because, uh, see, back then, and people didn't realize it, all your Laughlin cars and stuff like that, they were jigged off of like 69, 65 Chevelle frames. Mm-hmm. And you know, but when I was building the hobby car, you couldn't run a tube frame. So that's why I started that way. But see, I done had the roll cage on it and interior sheet metal and all that stuff. And then when they killed the cars, I had to shorten the wheelbase and I wound up mounting a Camaro body on it. And uh, But it was a stock chassis car. Hmm. It's, uh, how, how did you ever do with that car? Did you get you any wins? I never did win in it, but Marty, the... Uh, the night he drove it, uh, and, you know, he hadn't never been in the car before, but he wound up run, run second at Greenville with it. And uh, when uh, back then, Andy Petrie used to come to Greenville every now and then, and they'd bring him big old hog motors from up <laughs> there at Asheville. Well, he'd, they'd, him and Robert Presley had been coming down here wearing everybody out. So that year at the Shrine Race, Marty asked me if he could drive my car in the Shrine Race. And I said, well, yeah. So we go out there, and Petrie wound up set on the pole, and we was second. Well, Jimmy Phillips, of all the racing we had done, 
never had been to a racetrack with me. You know what I mean? We were working on race cars every night and all weekend and year round, you know. Well, he showed up at night. So he goes up there, and when Petrie sat on the pole, because, you know, back then we, we was running super late model, mm-hmm. and they could bring those cup motors, you know, and tune them back a little bit, but, I mean, them old things would thunder down that straightaway. Well, when Petrie sat on the pole, Jimmy goes up there to Tom and told Tom he ought to be ashamed of himself. And Tom's like, what are you talking about? And Jimmy said, letting them cup motors come out there and run and get these boys on Saturday night. You know, I don't know what Tom knowed any difference one way or another. But uh, anyway, when the race started, Jimmy told Marty to fall behind Petrie and make him run harder than he wanted to. Well, I was on the radios with Marty. About 20 laps went by. Marty comes on the radio and says, let me pass him. And uh, Jimmy would sit down there and shake his head no. Well, Marty was dogging him in the center of the corner, you know. Well, anyway, they was lapping traffic. Back then, I mean, they probably started 28 race cars. Well, they were coming up off of four in a lap car, come up and hit him, hit Marty in the left rear. Well, when it spun him, he got into Petrie, so they all went to wrecking coming up off four. Mm. And <laughs> it wound up, it, it was the end of that race car, that stock chassis car. But uh, it being it, you know, all over and stuff. So when I carried it back over to Jimmy's, Jimmy told me, he said, if you'll build us a jig, you won't never have to worry about somewhere to build you another race car. So I did. I built a jig to jig up cars and stuff. And that's how I always built all my cars. And, you know, I'd have the steel delivered over there. And, you know, we'd cut them, make them. We'd piddle on every night, and then on Saturday and Sunday, that's all we did was work on race cars. Huh. That sounds like us these days. <laughs> is is Jimmy still alive? Yeah. Yeah, he I hear his name in, in, involved with everybody in racing. Well, Jimmy was an innovator. You know, like his specialty back then was steering geometry and stuff like that, and Jimmy was real dedicated to things when he wanted to figure something out, like, the front end geometry, he locked himself in the race shop over there one time for 72 hours in there figuring out <laughs> geometry on the front ends. And that's, and I guess that's where I got a lot of my determination because Jimmy was more of a believer in, you know, the one that works the hardest and the smartest is the one that'll win. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he always in, instilled that in me. And, uh, when you know when we built cars, the actual cars that Jimmy was selling or letting Donnie drive, see, I designed the front clip and everything out there just from nothing, and Jimmy wanted a, us to build a car that nobody else had, our own design, and uh, that's what we did, you know. And uh, they won a lot of races, and we, you know, at one time, I mean, we probably had. Fred Phillips, he had, he'd always buy a car. You know, they was various people would come over there. Jimmy would normally, he would build a car a year of his own, and then he would either let Donnie drive it a few times or he'd just sell it. And uh, he really didn't make no money off of them. He just done it for the fun. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, and he had got where he didn't come to the racetrack stuff no more, but 
he still enjoyed the creating a car, you know. And, uh, and then I guess I was his uh, eyes and ears at the racetrack because I'd go, you know, and I'd race again the cars that I'm building, you know. And uh, But, I mean, it's a lot of fun. I wouldn't have had it no other way. I'd like to have him in here one day if he's, he's healthy. Oh, well, well he's, he's still healthy, but Jimmy's one that he's kind of a guy that keeps everything to himself. You know, he, you kind of have to get in on his inner circle. Yeah. And, um, I don't get to see him that much no more, but I did talk to him about, it's been about three, four months ago, his wife passed away and stuff. But, uh, Jimmy instilled a lot of the racing stuff in on me and, you know, and I learned from the experiences that he had. Uh, matter of fact, I was telling you out front there about the guy that told me I had either had to learn how to play the game or get out. Well, Jimmy's the one that taught me that. And uh, it wasn't always who had the best car or the best driver. You I mean, you had to know how to play the game. And, and it goes all the way to the top, you know, and – and a lot of people that's not around racing might not want to believe that, but that's the way it is, you know. So I enjoyed bucking the system, you know, like and like me and Tom. We would we always got along, but Tom knew that if I was if I could get away with it, if somebody else was beating me with it, I was gonna try it. Yeah. You know, and matter of fact, one night the scales went out. The electronic scales. Well, he come up to me and he said, "Dennis, can you uh, bring get somebody to bring your scales out here and let us use them?" I said, "Yeah." So I sent one of my boys back to the shop and got the scales and brought them. They set them up out there and everything. Well, that night in the main event, when we took off, boys left my two front hood pins out. When did hood blew off? Well, I wound up run second when I rolled across the scales. I was seven pounds light and they threw me out. <laughs> well, my own scales. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That sounds like something that happened to us. Yeah. Oh, I had all kind of adventures, you know. Well, that's crazy. So, um, when was your first late model win? I mean, how many seasons did it take for you to get your first late model well, win? Well, see, the first, I don't know. I guess my first win was like 87. But I never... I never could run every week because I couldn't afford it, you know. So I'd go run a couple of races and stuff, and then I'd have to work on somebody else's stuff to get me up some more money. Because, you know, I had a family and all, and that was one thing me and my wife agreed to, that she didn't care if I raced, but I had to take care of family stuff, you know. And uh, I guess it was about 80, it's 87, 88, somewhere in there, you know. And it, I never, it was a super late model race then. And, uh, and, you know, it was hard back then, like those super motors, you know, I mean, you could blow them pretty easy and I had some good motors, but it would take me a while to be able to afford them, you know, and pay for them and stuff like that. And, uh, I always had good handling race cars, but, uh, you know, things that would take me time was like, I couldn't go buy tires every week and stuff like that. And then Jimmy's family restaurant up here in Easley, uh, there's a girl come up to me out there one night and said that Jimmy wanted to see me, talk to me about sponsor. And I'm like, okay. But, you know, I had done asked 
everybody about getting a sponsor, but everybody wanted to put their name on your car, but they didn't want to give you but $25, $50. So I'm like, it ain't worth my time. Well, it went on there about another week or two. Well, the same girl come back and said, Jimmy wants you to come up there tomorrow and eat breakfast, and he wants to talk to you. Well, I did and wound up. You know, me and him stayed together, and he he spent some money on me for like five years, I guess. You know, well, matter of fact, he's the one that got me in the all pro. And, uh, you know, I'll always be thankful to him for that. And, uh, but, Jimmy was young. He was younger than I am, and he uh, he never really was around racing, but he liked the excitement of it. And, uh, you know, he was pretty easy to deal with as far as he understood it. Just because you were spending the same amount of money the next guy was didn't mean you was going to outrun him. But uh, we had a lot of fun together, though. You always had a good-looking car. I, I, I like a car that's... You know, not real bright and flamboyant colors. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a plane, and I always thought that white 74 was sharp. Well, the reason why I did that was just a simple fact. You know, if I knocked a fender off or something like that, the paint was easy to match. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just a – for me, I needed to keep the car as nice as I could because I couldn't attract a sponsor if I was out there in a, you know, junky-looking race car. Oh, yeah. And uh, I worked hard at it, you know. I know you mentioned um, Jimmy, but what what led to the All Pro Tour? And did you run the full tour? I mean, no, the full seasons? No. What in nineteen ninety seven is when Greenville was converting to the late model stock and getting away from the super late models. Well, I had the super. Well, in order for me to be able to go late model stock, I was going to have to build or buy another car completely. Well, Jimmy was sponsoring me, and he said, well, look, let's just go run all pro. And, you know, and we talked about it and stuff. Well, the car that I had was legal in the all pro. The only difference was the motors. They ran a nine-to-one compression motor. We're out there at Greenville. It was an open motor, you know. So we wound up having to buy a uh, nine-to-one motor, and, uh, you know, we decided that we would run the races that was close enough from home that we didn't have to go stay three or four days, you know. And every now and then, like we went to Nashville up there for the 400, and you know. But most of them were races that we could either go spend the night and come back or come back the same day. And it's hard to do that, but, you know, when you ran that all pro, I mean, you know, just your pit passes and feeding everybody and stuff like that, I mean, even back then, it would cost you $5,000 a race to go run one. Wow. And, uh, you know, but you're sitting there like me. I was sitting there running again, Bobby Gill, David Ruderman, Scott Riggs, you know, guys that wound up going cup racing. But, you know, they had multi-million-dollar sponsors. And, uh, you know, and it makes a difference when you're out there racing. You, if you don't have to worry about the money, you'll stick that nose in places that you're not 100% sure you can bring it out of. But where I had to be more cautious and not, you know, force the issue and stuff like that, and it, it starts working on you mentally to where you, even like when Mr. Collins started sponsoring me when I won the championship, 
it took me quite a few races to get out of that mindset, you know, that I could just do whatever I had to do to win. It, it's You get yourself psyched up, psyched up, I guess, to where you, before you can really just go out there and not worry about the motor blowing up or tearing your car up and stuff like that, that you know the funds is there to replace it. But, uh, you know, I had fun running the All-Pro and, I was uh, at Greenville. They had the all-pro race out there. Well, Mr. Collins had a all-pro car. Well, he was going to run it too. So I went up there and set the car and stuff up. Well, that evening when Mr. Collins come pulling in, uh, Lee Tissick was with him. And he got out and he asked me, he said, he said, Is it, you think it's all right if I let him drive your car or drive my car? I said, well, it ain't my car. Do what you want to with it. Well, we kind of had a plan that night. See, back then, you didn't have to pit, and you could run 200 laps at Greenville without pitting on gas. Well, my plan was that I was going to just stay on the lead lap to 50 laps ago, and then I was going to charge, you know. Well, Lee was basically going to do the same thing. Well, when the 50 laps got there, I was probably running – you know, fourth or fifth, something like that. But cars had pitted. And old boy out of that drove uh, Bobby Gill and them's car. Uh, what was that boy's name? They was out of Charlotte up there, but they had pitted. Well, I could see him in the mirror, but when I'd drive up off the corner, I could pull him four or five car lengths, but he could get off in the corner better than I could. Well, with a, after about about 40 to go, well, he turned me going off in one. And we did. That was that brand-new Port City card I'd bought. I backed it in the wall. Well, then Lee, when that caution comes out, he didn't come down pit road, but then he winds up winning the race <laughs> wow. in Mr. Collins's car. So, But then they changed the rules in the All-Pro. It said you had to make a pit stop, one pit stop during the race, whether you took tires, or, but you had to come to a stop in your pits. But, uh, you know, it's been fun. I mean, now oh. I sit back and I watch my son, you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, I would much rather get out there in a hornet's nest in that race car than sit in the pits and watch him drive. Because you're talking about nervous. Oh, I know. I've got two doing it. I walk around the racetrack by myself watching him every inch around that place. And it's so hard to sit back and not want to tell him what I would have done or I'll do and stuff like that. Cause I mean, in my opinion, he's a whole lot better race car driver than I was. You know, it, he told me one time that he said, well, daddy, I've run a million laps sitting on the trailer watching you race, you know, but, but you get nervous doing that stuff, and uh, I'm kind of glad he's not racing right now because it, it works on you. Oh, yeah. Are you looking yeah, for someone to do a dreaded painting project? I'm cool. talking about residential you know, and or commercial. Look no further and contact Maccabee Painting. These guys have been around for 15 years with 29 yeah, years of experience. 
The owner, Benji, is a third generation painter and knows his stuff. They can also take care of all of your pressure washing needs or deck repairs and staining. Again, if you're looking for someone to come and do an amazing painting job, either residential or commercial, if you got pressure washing needs or you just need your deck repaired and stained, call Maccabees Painting at 864-395-9744. Not a jack of a lot of trades, but definitely a master of one. Again, that number is 864-395-9744. And tell them that the guys from a Checkered Pass podcast sent you. If you've been driving around town and got into a little fender bender and now you need your car repaired, look no further. Go talk to Blake Jeter at Powdersville Collision Repair, located at 415 Three Bridges Road in Powdersville. He specializes in insurance and auto body repairs. That address again is 415 Three Bridges Road in Powdersville. Check out Powdersville Collision Repair and, and tell Blake the guys from a Checkered Pass podcast sent you. Hey everyone, this is Crystal with the Checker Pass Podcast. Wanted to take a second and give a shout out to our official apparel provider, Black Essen Racing Apparel. Do you need some shirts printed, maybe some custom hats? Give Black Acid Apparel a call. Black Acid Apparel is a custom apparel company specializing in direct to garment printing. There is no minimum order required and they produce high quality projects. Whether it's for racing, business, an event, or anything else. Like I said, Black Acid Apparel has your back. Black Acid Apparel, your choice for custom apparel and the official apparel of a Checkered Pass podcast. We had to take a break and thank the ones who make this possible. Um, So you were talking about Justin a little bit as far as getting into his racing and being nervous. But before we jump into his racing, we want to hear about your championship run because um, – you know that's that's a pretty special deal to have your name on the on the Greenville Pickens Speedway wall, no matter what. Yeah, and that's something that I never really done it for that. I mean, I was the kind of person that just wanted to be better than everybody else, and not I really wasn't into the fame and you know and all that kind of stuff. But when Mister Collins come up that winter, he was the one that wanted me to run for the championship, and I told him, you know. I never had run a whole season before. You know, I'd miss a race or two. And, but I always wound up finishing good in the points, you know, in the top five. But I always ran good, you know, when I was there. And uh, when he decided he wanted me to do that, you know, I mean, I would have been stupid not to try. And uh, But still in my mind, I mean, I wasn't going thinking I was going to go win the championship. You got your mind on winning races. Yeah, and when I got out there, you know, and like the second race that year, I won. Well, next thing I know, you know, I'm like 100 points ahead of second place. And, you know, that's when Bob and them was running for that, that deal they had about honoring his kids and stuff, and I didn't know anything about that when it got started. And... uh you know, I, me and Bob were friends and stuff, and we, uh, 
you know, just so happened he was the guy running second to me. And uh, next thing I knowed one night, they, uh, I had blowed a motor. It was on the 13th race of that year. I was leading the heat race, and I blowed coming up off four. Well, the guy that was building my motors in was Joey Robinson and Brian Meese up there out of Mars Hill. Well, when I blowed the motor, Mr. Collins told me to get in his car that night and run the race. And uh, so the next week, Brian, uh, Joey called me up at work, and he said, Dennis, you know, I got a shop motor up here that I'm going to let you borrow because I can't get the stuff in here quick enough to get your motor fixed back. And I said, okay. I said, is it a good motor? Is it good as mine? He said, yeah, it was just a motor that I built out of parts that I took out of other motors. And I said, okay. Well, <laughs> I'll go out there and I win. Well, when I won, next thing I know, they's protesting me. Wanted to pull my crankshaft out. Wow. So I'm like, Lord of mercy. You know, you know, and Tom was always one of those kind. You know, about 30, 45 minutes after that race is over, he won't cut them lights out. Yeah. Well, we wound up, we pulled the motor out, turned it over, pulled the crankshaft. Joey's the one that done it, the motor man. And uh, I walked up to him and I said, Joey, is the motor legal? He said, yeah, it's legal. So anyway, they pulled the crankshaft stuff out. Well, Bill Smith was the tech man then. They carried it down and set it on the scale, race car scales. It sat there and it had to weigh 50 pounds. And it would bounce between 49 and 50. It would never stop. So Bill told me, he said, all right, what we're going to have to do is I'm going to carry it to UPS Monday, and we're going to have it certified way. I said, okay, when we going? He said, you can't go. I said, why? It's my crank. And uh, he said, well, I don't want none of the competitors out there. I'm going to go do it in private, and, you know, we'll see. Well, Monday evening, he calls me at work and says, Dennis, I throw you out. I said, why? He said, your crank's 12 ounces too light. I'm not, you know, I'm, what could I say? I didn't like it. And, uh, you know, Joey, oh, Lord, he went ballistic. Because he's sitting there saying it ain't light. Yeah. Well, then that week, Joey calls me up and says, look, you know, for me to get you a motor back together, I'm going to have to buy another crankshaft. And we wasn't running stock cranks, you know. And so he told me, he said, you know, I need you to bring me some money up there. Well, I wound up and had to carry $2,000 up there. Well, he got me a motor bill. We came back out there that week, won again. Well, they wanted to protest me then. Well, then Mr. Collins said, okay, if y'all going to protest him, I'm going to protest y'all. So then it kind of started be between him and Mr. Norris over there, you know, who had the most money. So uh, they kind of throwed it out that night. You know, Tom was fed up with it, and he didn't like all that staying all night, you know, and stuff like that. So anyway, we come back the next week, and uh, – I didn't win, but I finished ahead of them. And when I did, they protested me again. Tore the motor out. They said they wanted to scatter it. So Mr. Collins did theirs. Well, they pulled them out, and Bill Smith's down there checking heads, cranks, everything, you know. Well, next thing I know, they throwing them out, saying their heads is illegal. There. Oh, Lord, they, everybody goes off, you know, and, 
Then the next thing I know, they had a boy on their crew. They didn't like me naturally. And Justin, they got to fussing at each other on the internet and stuff like that. And the old flagman come down there in about a week or two, and he said, Dennis, we're going to have to do something about this. And I said, what? He said, about this arguing over I said, what's it to you? I mean, that's their business, you know. I said, hey, Justin's defending his daddy, and I'm sure that boy's defending his man. I said, you know, let it be. But he wound up and talked to him and stuff. I guess they backed off a little bit. But, you know, when you start beating people or winning, people change their outlook at you. You, you know? got that right. You know, people that you thought was your friends all of a sudden becomes your enemy. Mm-hmm. So, but that was okay, too. And that was part of the, you know, learning how to play the game. You know, you, you, if you go out there thinking that everybody's going to come pat you on the back when you win or outrun them every week, that ain't going to be, that's not going to happen. Not a bit. You know, I look at, um, you know, I look at your championship in the year you won it, and I look as you as, well, I guess, getting toward the end of the golden era, what I would consider the golden era at Greenville, you know, you and Randy Porter, you know, and Bob Jarvis, you know, Jarvis, all them. So what was your, what was your biggest rival? Who would you say your biggest rival was over the years or that year? Well, that year it was Bob, Bob Magnum and, uh, you know, Tommy Norris with the protesting and stuff like that. But I never did. I don't, I don't like concentrating on what other people's doing. And when all that protesting and stuff started, I wasn't, because number one, I never had protested nobody in my life. I was more of one of those kind, well, okay, if you beat me and I think you got a big motor, I'm going to go get me a big motor. You know, we're going to find out who's got what. But, you know, when that money and stuff, and I don't blame them. You know, hey, I if I could afford to have done it and I was getting beaten the points, I'd have done the same thing. But at the end of the day, I had to concentrate on what I was doing. So my biggest rival was me. And it had got to a point that they were protesting me so much that I'd got so gun-shy I was checking stuff on the card that I knew was legal, but so I didn't get through out. And Jimmy Phillips, like I said, he never did come to the racetrack. And one Sunday, he come to my house. And he come in there and he said, look, boy, he said, you need to get back doing what you know how to do. And that's make that race car go fast. Quit worried about them and what they're doing. You just worry about making that race car fast. And from that point on, wasn't nothing to it, you know. They had good stuff. I had good stuff. They had money behind them. I had money behind me. And uh, so I guess that approval from him making me feel like that I had the ability to make it better, and I did. You know, I worked hard at it every night. And like I said, I didn't have – weekends off going on vacations and stuff like that my vacations were racing and working on those race cars so what would you say your biggest win was over your career is there one that sticks out in your mind not really uh i had won two in a row that year and i sat on the pole for the third weekend and, 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 you know, you might not want to believe this, but 
Tom come down there and carried me down between the trailers. And he said, Dennis, I'm going to tell you something. I said, what? He said, don't win tonight. I said, what? He said, I'm just telling you, don't win tonight. And I'm like, Tom, that ain't right. You know, I said, my God, these, these other guys come out here and won six, seven weeks in a row. He said, well, all I'm telling you is don't win. And I ran second. And I don't know why. Maybe in his mind he thought I was stinking up the show and running people off in the grandstand. You just don't know, you know. And But that's part of the game, you know. And you have to learn how to play it. Yeah, sometimes that just didn't uh... – that isn't a fun way to be. That's oh no! I mean, at all. oh, I pouted like a big baby all week, <laughs> you know. But, but, I mean, what was I going to do? I was already in the battle. We'd done spent work, you know. And I mean, what was I going to do? Get mad, stick my tail between my legs, and go to the house? Yeah, you know? I either in, had to play. He was in his sandbox, so you exactly. had to play by his rules. Exactly. You uh, know, it, it isn't fun sometimes. I've been to that movie for sure. Yeah. So you got your championship, and then you know you raced. You said you raced up to two thousand nine. Yeah, and then I guess you turned it over to to your boy here. Well, no, at first Gene Morgan come to me and wanted to drive my car, so we put a deal together, and I think I let him run it eight or ten times that year, and uh, the last time he run it, Austin Dillon. Uh, wrecked Gene out there in it and backed it in the wall. Well, they just happened to be parked right beside of us. Well, I got mad. <laughs> well, his daddy was up on top of their trailer. Well, when the race got over, I was standing at the end bottom of his ladder, and he come walking up there, and I told him, I said, hey, Bubba, I'm a, I can't whip you, boy, because he's too young, but I'm going to whip you. Yeah. And he's like, well, we'll pay for your car. We'll pay for your car. Whatever it costs, we'll pay for it. So I wound up and carried it to Greg Marlowe, had it fixed. They put a body and stuff on it. Well, Greg calls me up. He says, Dennis, he said, Dylan, them don't want to pay for putting a body on your car. I said, well, the darn body wasn't bent before it got wrecked. He said, I said, do you have his phone number? And he said, yeah. So I called him up on his cell phone. <laughs> they was at Pocono testing. And I told him, I said, you either going to pay for that body or I'm coming to Charlotte in that office in there, and I'm going to whip your butt. <laughs> well, he calls Greg Marlowe up, pays him. Greg calls me back up and says, I don't know what you told him, but the bill's paid. <laughs> hey, you got to handle it that way sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to be mean, but the bottom line is Austin just ran over Gene. Yeah. And I mean, we all know Gene knows how to drive a race car, but he just drove in off over his head and ran over him in the – you know, tore my race car up. No punk didn't have any respect for his elders. I know. And Dang the, sure didn't have any respect for a, a champion like Gene. And the bad thing was that Gene passed him on the racetrack free and clear, you know. But And I know what he'd done, young, and he couldn't stand it that he was getting passed. He drove off in there over his head and run over him. Yeah. And so, I think the fast forward of the day, and he still can't drive. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Oh, I ain't neither. So especially after he tore up my race car. Yeah, he's he's right there with Bubbles Wallace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And that's the thing for me. You know, it's hard for me to accept people that gets rides, give to them, and 
because, you know, man, I came up the hard way. I had to work my hind end off to be able to race, but I'd done it because I loved it. And uh, that's the things I've instilled in Justin. It always don't mean you're going to get to be in the limelight and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, I think when you do good or win and you go home, you know who put you there oh, yeah. you know, and how you got there. And so I'm kind of like you on that stuff. I don't, it bothers me. And I think right now that's why you're having trouble just like Greenville. That's why you don't have race cars out there no more. These kids today, they want to show up with their helmet, crawl in a race car, you know, go tear it up or win, you know, Papa or Daddy spending all the money. They, there's no respect on the racetrack, and they no desire to keep doing it. No. You know, they'll do it for half a season and say, Daddy, I don't want to do this no more. Yeah. Next thing you know, stuff's over here for sale. And But, you know, like back in my day, you had a lot of race car drivers that owned their own equipment, you know, and it just – but it's the times it's changed, you know, and it's like Greenville – Greenville's got a lot of history out there, and I don't care what nobody says. If you can go fast at Greenville Pickens, you can go fast anywhere. Just the way that track's laid out, the speed and stuff like that, you can actually go to any racetrack in the country, and you'll run good. But the young people now, though, they don't have the desire. Yeah, I... I I've always had a, a respect for that racetrack because it's, it's a different beast. Yeah, it is. But I went to Anderson and run a few years, and and Anderson taught me a lot of right. a lot a lot more of driving. So when I went back to Greenville, I was even better. And I was like, "This is yeah, this is wild." But that, that I love that racetrack. I and the bad thing is, you know, Anderson and the Greenville. It's not so much I think now with the times that people don't want to race. It's just your drivers and the people that it's going to wind up bringing cars. And I don't care what nobody says. The fans are not going to come out there and sit in a 100-degree weather, spend good money to get in there with their family, and sit up there and watch, watch three or four late models. You mm-hmm. know, they want to see a race. I agree. Yeah, we, was, we had some times last year, you know, those 35 cars total. Yeah. And, you know. That's every division, right? Yeah, total, period. And in 99, on average, we had 28 race cars in late model mm-hmm. main event. Yeah, when I started running Charger in 03, there was there was 30 cars a race, yeah. two races. So, I mean, there's been a lot of things that went on through the years to, you know, yeah, to happen. But it's had a had a had a couple of bad or a few bad seasons with here recent. So, well, you know, I'm a firm believer though that. Tom Blackwell knew how to put on a show. He knew people, and he knew what was going to them people. Why, how he could make them get in those stands every week. Oh yeah, because you know back when I ran in '99, that racing digest paper it used to come out. Mm-hmm. Greenville was the highest people count, over five thousand people a week in the country. Yeah, and that year they was over a hundred NASCAR sanctioned racetracks across the United States, and it's. But he knew how to make people want to come. He kept the ticket prices down. He, you know, he let kids under twelve in free, 
let he, the wives in for free. And yeah, then. and he would it. He didn't try to make money off the fans. I think he, in his own way, he used that money to do a certain part at the racetrack, for the racetrack, whatever it was. But he wasn't greedy. He didn't try to, you know, get rich out of there. You know, people could say all they want about Tom them. Tom and Pete, yeah, they had a little money. But look at all the years they done it. You know, it ain't like they went out there in two or three years and got rich. And uh, I just, you know, the racetrack's got to be, somebody's got to take care of that thing that knows how to make the people want to come. They're going to have to pay good money for the race cars to go out there and race because a racer can't go race, spend $1,500 a race, and go win and win seven, eight hundred dollars mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers don't add up. No. And, uh, until yeah, I mean, they get that straightened out, it's never going to get no better. And to be honest with you, I hope Jackie and them and they get this thing all going. But I don't know that one year is going to fix that. I think the 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 biggest thing behind the the one year is you know to maybe spark interest in someone else. Yeah. You know, or or if someone else was to purchase the speedway, right. Right. then they would see that it's you know a viable business or whatever. So, yeah. You know. I appreciate everything you've been saying about my dad, and everything you're saying is true. Yeah. You know, and uh, I saw it from the home perspective as yeah. well as from the racetrack perspective, and. It was about making the fans happy. Exactly. It was about, and, you know, it, it's easy for me to say, but I hear it from so, so many people, and that's why I appreciate hearing from you. There's nobody else like Dad and Pete, man. Oh, yeah. And there'll be nobody else that could run it the way Dad and Pete did. Right. But one of the coolest things about Jackie and, uh, you know, and, 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 and actually not to pat myself on the back, but me helping him. Right. Is that we both? Uh, it's interesting. Like I grew up out there, mm-hmm. and since I was remembered it since I was a little kid, and and, and watched them run it, and, and admired the way they ran it. Yeah. And the cool thing about Jackie, what made me so happy about Jackie starting this campaign, he called me up and said, "Hey man, I'm starting this thing," and uh, I was like, "Let's go, let's do it." You know, yeah. I was going to make a couple phone calls for him, and I jumped right in and came wow. here and everything else. But the cool thing about Jackie's his family has been around the racetrack about as long as my family was, right. as long as I can remember when I was a little kid back in the uh, late sixties, early seventies. Jackie's grandfather, Jackie, was right. head kind of maintenance groundskeeper guy there, and uh, J- then came Wayne, and then came Jackie. So that's what it, it's interesting what you were saying. I was appreciating that because it's about the way we're looking at this. Is I don't stand to make a dime out of it right. at all. Jackie's going to lose money, if anything. Right. But it's about family, man. It's about it's about family, and it's about tradition. Right. And so Jack, everything Jackie says about the way he's going to run the track is the what, what you're talking about, making right. the fans happy. You're not going to go out there and have closed concession stands. I, I, I wasn't out there during that time, but I heard that sometimes the bathrooms are nasty. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, closed concession stands, but you won't see that when we get started out there. So I appreciate everything you're saying, man. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the bottom line is, and it, like on the back stretch, you know, that place for a lot of those people, that was their Saturday night, their spot, you know, whether they was out there just having a good time, barbecuing, but then they got to charging, you know, for to have a place every week. <laughs> I mean, you can't, to run that place and do it right, you, I just don't think you can set, 
and look at everything with a dollar sign. You know, because in this day and time, with the way the economy is and stuff like that, people can't go and spend seventy five or hundred dollars on Saturday night and do it every week. And if you if they do, you got to give them something back. Exactly. You know? And and I don't want to like I can't make any promises because I you know w- w- they hadn't got it open yet, and I'm not the one that's going to be making all you know. I'll help him out. Right. But he's already said people been suggesting to me that uh, maybe I charge fifteen dollars to get in, and he said I'm thinking about charging twelve. And I was like, Jackie's already thinking right, right you know. Right. And so as it stands now, he's going to charge twelve dollars to get in, and you can't do anything for twelve dollars exactly. these days. Exactly. Absolutely nothing. So I thought that was pretty cool. As soon as he started talking about that. That's why I stayed involved, right. you know, not only just out of the memory of Tom, you know, my dad, right. but uh, Jackie started reminding me. I, I told him, I said, you remind me of my dad, you know. Yeah. And the funny thing was is when uh, I think it was Channel 7 did a – I'm sorry to interrupt you all, but I just wanted to – since you were talking about dad, when Channel 7 did the piece on us, uh, they made a mistake, and on the little uh, thing underneath, it says Jackie Blackwell. <laughs> and I said, now you're an honorary black wolf for sure, oh, Jack. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> no, I, I told him I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you're, you're, you, now it's documented on TV, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how did you, – you were telling us a little bit earlier about you being nervous and all when Justin started racing, and I can relate because I've my 22-year-old and my 15-year-old racing, I'm fine with him. My my fifteen year old, I think I need to get drunk before I watch him. It drives me crazy. Well, you know, with Justin, when he was young, because we when we'd go to the racetrack early in the morning, back then you didn't have but four or five late models that show up. Well, I'd let him get mine and go out there and warm it up on the racetrack, you know. Huh. And uh I always kinda knew that he was going to want to do it because from the time he was a baby, I mean, I'd set him in the seat and crank it up and let it warm up, and he'd sit there and go to turning the steering wheel. And uh, But I would, when I kind of walked away from it, when Mr. Collins, I was actually driving his car in like 08, and uh, like I said, my health had kind of went down. You know, it was hard for me to get up and work on them all the time and stuff. So I talked to Mr. Collins, and I said, won't you give Justin a chance? Let him drive it, you know? And I said, if he tires up anything, I'll help him fix it. Well, actually, Justin went up there that winter and finished putting the car together and doing all that kind of stuff. Well, they come down there in 09, and I mean, I go out there and first race, I sat there and watched him. I mean, he looked like he'd been doing it his whole life, you know? I mean, there wasn't no... Uh, trying to teach him nothing. He went fast, and he looked smooth. And I'm like, what's going on here, you know? <laughs> and uh, he wound up that year. He won the rookie of the year out there. And uh, matter of fact, I was I had got my car back out and was going to run it a few times that year. Well, we was out there, him and, matter of fact, Anthony Anders. They was up front racing. I was back there six or seven, something like that, struggling. And him and Anders or somebody, he gets the front end tore off of it, Mr. Collins's car. So I'm like, huh. So I'm riding around there under caution, you know. Well, I seen him come back out of the pits. They done pulled all the fenders and nose and all that crap off of it. So I'm sitting up there, well, he's okay, so I'm going to try to get my way up toward the front. So they drop the green, we take off and everything. 
and I looked up in the mirror, and I kept seeing a spot back there, and it kept getting bigger. By the time I could make out, it was that dummy in that car with the front end <laughs> knocked off of it. And the, my old car was so loose that night I couldn't drive it. So finally, I just went off in the corner, and old car slipped up. Well, he drove by me like I wasn't even there, and I'm sitting there going, boy, ain't this a good one. My boy's <laughs> out running me. But, I bet um, that was fun. Oh, oh it was. Oh, <laughs> and he's a... Uh, but still, and watching him on the race, and like you know, it ain't so much I worry about what he's doing as what everybody else is doing. Exactly. And you know racing. I mean, you can get caught up in things. That, but, I mean, and I've always said that race car is the safest place in the world. If it's built right, mm-hmm. you got the right safety equipment. And Justin's good about buying the right stuff where me, you know, if it was a nice driving suit or a set of tires, I was going to get a set of tires. And uh, he's more, and I'm glad he's that way, to have the right seats and the Hans device and stuff like that. Where I wouldn't, you know, it was not, uh, this ain't going to hurt me, you know. And I wound up, I got a hand broke out there one night. Hmm. But, you know, it's still, though, you worry. And, oh, yeah. and maybe it ain't so much just about the wrecking. Because, uh, like, he, you know, he ran down there at Anderson for a year or so. And I was down there, and there was a guy blocking him. And I'm sitting down there on my golf cart, and I'm looking at, boy, you need to turn this cat. You need to turn him. Well, I didn't say that because he don't like me talk to him on the radios because he says I try to tell him how to drive. <laughs> anyway. That sounds familiar. They had run there about 20 laps. Well, the old tech guy comes walking over to me in my golf cart, and he says, Justin's being too nice. And I'm like, hmm, I think so too. <laughs> so I just come on to keyed my radio and I said, son, you're being too nice. Well, about that next time they come off four, I seen the fans jump up and all that. Well, here come Justin, but that other car wasn't there no more. So we wound up, you know, getting into it with them and all that kind of stuff. And I guess them things is what kind of makes you nervous is everybody don't have racing ethics you know what i'm saying you you've done it it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) every driver knows the rules and every driver knows what they're doing on that racetrack and it's not always what the fans see and uh that's the part i guess worries me the most when he gets in one it's not that i know i know he's got the talent to do it but what is there's those other people that don't have to work on it or don't spend their money on it and stuff. How are they going to drive? Yeah. And you know, if I got my way, if they block him or hit him, he's going to take them out, you know, but that's the daddy. And I wouldn't like it, but you got to understand, I, I raced again, a lot of real race car drivers. Oh yeah, you did. You know, so everybody knew how the game was played. And, uh, but like I said, his generation, it's all different. and uh, But as long as I got my golf cart and I got a radio, like I said, I listen to him. But I still, I love to watch him race because I, I actually get as much out of him driving now as I did driving then, you know. And, uh, I, I, you know, we went to racetracks like Virginia and places like that. He never had seen them. He goes up to Lonesome Pine, Virginia, and wears them out up there and wins, you know, in that southeastern limited late model. I'm like, where did this come from? 
But like I said, and I there's one thing I've always said. There's some people born to drive a race car, and some people has to learn to drive a race car. I was more of a had to learn how to drive. He's more just natural. Maybe it's because he did watch all of us back then that it sunk in. And, you know, it's like he don't have to think about it. Yeah. Where I had to get out there and make the mistakes and do the stupid things, you know. I learned how to drive a race car watching my daddy. So you, you, when, yeah. you, when you think we're young and dumb and sitting around being a right. punk kid, we're right. really paying attention to what's going on. And, you know, you can always tell the kids at the racetrack, the ones that are really interested, you don't see them down in front of the trucks playing and stuff. They'll be up there around the race cars and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's one thing I always done. My daddy would always, I'd have to, I'd have to work on his car by watching his left front tire. Yeah. He'd come in and that thing was plowing and he'd tell me that thing's loose. And I'm like, no, it ain't. <laughs> so we would do the opposite of what he would tell us and yeah. the car would be better. And he'd say, see, I told you that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I got to trying some real weird stuff on springs one time. And I had bought two brand new real lightweight springs and I had him over there in the shop putting them on. It, where I worked at, you know, I heard something explode over there, and I'm like, oh, Lord, he's done dropped that race car off that thing. So I go running over there, and he's like, dude, that left front spring just exploded. I said, what? He said, and he showed me it did. It busted into five pieces. Wow. So I called the people that I got it from, an old boy was a buddy of mine. He said, I can't believe that. You seen me that spring back down there? I said, yeah, you seen me a new one back up here. <laughs> yeah. But he had jobs, you know, and and I could always trust him. If I told him this is the way I want it, he was going to, it'd do right. So that was a pretty proud moment carrying him up there to, did you win at Anderson any too? No, never did get a win there. I finished second a lot. Yeah. yeah. I followed you. I was, I was a huge fan that you probably never even would have thought, but I, I was just because of who you are and yeah. and you being the son, I wanted to see you succeed. Oh, I did. And to be honest with you, in the, in the back of my mind, I would love to see his name on the wall at Greenville Pickens. You know, it's, I mean, ain't no daddy wouldn't want that for their son. Oh, yeah. And like I said, I mean, people don't understand Greenville. I've been to Alabama. I've been to Florida. And when people would find out where we were from, the first thing they would do, oh, you race at Greenville Pickens, you know. And that place has just got so much history, and I mean, and it's the only racetrack in the country that does the deal with the names on the wall. And it's like me. I couldn't tell you who won the championship at, last year at Anderson. And and I couldn't know other racetrack. And, uh, but, you know, that place out there, you don't have to be a regular to be able to walk in there and feel the history this that place has got. got that right. And I would love for him to, you know, the racetrack to keep running and him have an opportunity to put his name on the wall. I'd love to see that. Mm-hmm. That'd be an awesome deal because yeah. there's, there's a few father and sons out there, but it'd be yeah, it'd be cool to see. Yeah, you have to do it on a year that ends with a nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because <laughs> '09 is when I won the rookie of the year. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, guys, we appreciate you guys coming in and, and telling us a little bit. Getting to learn a little bit about you was. I appreciate so you cool. having me. Is this a, 
my goal is to have every living champion on the wall out there in yeah. here at one point in time and and uh knew of you from a distance never got to sit down and really talk to you and know know anything about you so it's it's cool to hear hear the way you come up and come through it and it uh definitely i love watching justin run and i hope to hope to see him in the car again one day oh yeah we're gonna get him back in one that's that's good to hear mark you got anything no, just like I say, again, Dennis, it's an honor to have you in here. And like I say, I consider you as part of the golden era at Greenville Pickens, you know, the 90s, 80s, 90s, you know. So, like I say, it's an honor to have you in here and yeah, you know, hear your story. The one night we were sitting out on the grid, you know, when they was lining us up for the main event, and one of the boys that helped me come on the radio, and he said, Dennis, do you realize there's six past track champions in this race? Wow. And, you know, that was wow. before I won the championship. You know, I came up in an era, and what racers know, they was a lot of hot dogs. Yeah. You know, you either learn how to drive a race, or you better go to the house. Yeah. Um, say one, just one more quick question. Outside of Greenville, when you were traveling, what was your favorite track, or track you enjoyed the most outside of Greenville? I actually like Lanier Speedway. And, you know, I never did – have that great a run, but I'd qualify good down there, and I kind of knew how to get around the place. But I loved the racetrack, but I hated their pit road. It was so narrow and stuff like that. And uh, and I liked the Nashville Fairgrounds. You know, I went up there. It was uh, it's unbelievable with the banking on that racetrack how hard you can drive a race car, and you know, basically stay in that racetrack, you know. Matter of fact, you can run a late model stock up there and never lift off the gas. Good Lord. Wow. What size mm. track is that? It's almost five-eighths. You're getting around that place. Is that the one that Junior's always trying to promote and bring back? Or is that where you were? Yeah, that's where I just was, was at the yeah. fairgrounds. I was just there this past weekend. Yeah. There, so, yeah. You know, that's where Sterling, Marlin, Daryl Waldrop, they got their start there. Yeah. And it's a, and it's like Greenville. You know, it's got a lot of history. Now, they don't do the wall thing, but there's been a lot of champions went through there. And the racetrack's old, and it's got character. So, yes, you got to drive it. You know, it's not just to, you know, put your foot on the floor and go. you got to learn how to get around it. But it's fun. I, I watching the SRX cars last year. It looked like a lot of fun. Yeah. Be a cool track to go to. Well, guys, like I say, I appreciate you taking time out of the evening to come down and record with us. And we've had a good, good bit of response when we announced you were coming on, even though my auto correct spelled your name wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it was your my your daughter. daughter. Yeah, yeah. I, I seen it when I was typing it out, and anyway, I told her I apologized. Oh, we're we're used to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I've seen you know a million times on Facebook. I know how to spell your name, but it's just. When it come up with L-A-N-D, I, yeah. I hit it. and Oh, you and, wouldn't believe, like, the newspapers and stuff like that. Oh, my wife, she'd call them and get <laughs> on them, you know. <laughs> but it's it's been going on like that forever. Oh, yeah. I know. Um, random fact, Dennis, but you are part of my autograph collection. You signed a couple of those bull ring cards for me. Right. Several, several, several years ago, you signed a couple of those for me. And so. I'll tell you what makes you feel mm. old. I went in a restaurant a few years ago, and this pretty little old waitress come out there and took our order, you know. 
And she looks at me and she says, Dennis, you don't remember me, do you? And I'm like, no. So she goes back in the back to get her order. She comes out one of those bull ring racing cars that I had autographed. And then she showed me a picture of me and her that her mama had took out there where she wasn't but about six, seven years old. And I'm sitting there going, you know, that made you feel old, you know, when you don't see her grow up and stuff like that. But I was around a long time. Yeah. Well, it's cool to, you know, to have you here in the in studio with with the history you have with the racetrack and your name on the wall. That's like I say, uh, we've got a historic racetrack out here and glad oh, you're yeah. part of it. I'm glad to be part of it. You know, I, me and Justin talk about it a good bit. When you, most people that's raced and done good and stuff, and racing's kind of like being a movie star or whatever. When you're doing good, everybody's talking about you. But then when you go away, it don't take long for them to forget you, you know. Yeah. Oh, they's, everybody still talks. They really still like to know what's going on. Yeah. You, know? uh, you won't believe the names that gets thrown at us, you know. Yeah. But, but like I say, it's great to have you guys on and, and uh, you guys take care and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Dennis Sutherland, everyone. For all your handyman needs, call Robert or Hall with Hall's All Hands on Decks. 864-213-7502. No job is too small or too big. From fixing water lines to building decks, even minor roof repair, and everything in between. Again, that number is 864-213-7502. For all your automotive and heavy equipment, foreign and domestic, alternators and starter needs. Contact Gene's Alternator and Starter. Tell them that you heard about it on the Checker Pass podcast. Give them a call at 864-246-3036. It's Gene's Alternator and Starter. By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of bases Hey, I want to take time to recognize uh, this week's sponsor, Spotlight. Um, Auto Banking RV Sales and Services. Uh, Blair, come on board this year as our presenting sponsor. And um, just want to take time to uh, say our thank yous and our great appreciations for having him on. And and um, if you guys need a need a... Top-notch RV, Blair Addis is the man to go see over at Auto Bank RV Sales and Services. Um, and that that is brought to you by Gene's Alternator and Starter. Um, another one we, we greatly appreciate coming on board this year, Kenneth Head and all. And, and it, it's cool. It's a couple of track champions that uh, that have come on and helped us out here on the Checker Pass podcast. And guys and gals, we really appreciate you guys listening, or you all listening, and uh, – Dennis Sutherland was an awesome guest. Really, really enjoyed sitting down and learning a little bit about him. But um, thank you all, and stay tuned. we got a good one next week as well.